I'm recommended by Skype to avoid legal snags by telling you you're being recorded. Sorry, I just totally slurped my drink right into the microphone. That's okay. I, I don't laugh so hard it comes out your nose. You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join myself, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Allen, as we explore the spaces between Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Soft Idolatry. For this series, we are going through the Ten Commandments. If you missed our first week, the intro episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first. This will all make a lot more sense if you're walking through it with us in order. Instead of doing one week per commandment, we've broken them up into two three-week sections. One section about loving God, one section about loving neighbor. Alan, I'm going to let you get us started today as we talk about having no other gods and no idols. Before we start with that, I want to pick up with something that we forgot to mention last week, and that is the numbering of the commandments. We are starting today with, you will have no other God before me, and we are calling that the first commandment, but this is, um, this is something that comes out of our own Reformed tradition. In fact, in many other traditions, the commandments are numbered differently. For instance, in the Jewish tradition, the first commandment begins with, I am the Lord your God. This is really important to remember, too, because when we look at things through the eyes of other traditions as well as our own, it can bring new insight that we might have missed. It's really easy to continue reading and hearing scripture through the same lens we've been brought up with, but listening to it through other people's lenses can be really helpful. I'm still trying to wrap my head around listening through a lens, but we'll go with that for now. I think the result of leaving out the prologue, scholars will call the verses leading up to the first term or condition, I am the Lord your God, they call that the prologue. And I think when we leave that out, that section that explains the covenantal relationship between God and God's chosen people, Israel, when we leave that out, we fall into the trap of looking at the commandments as separate rules instead of something that functions as a whole. And in thinking about this, I am reminded of a story from my time in seminary. I believe it was my first year, and it was time for lunch, and I was down in the cafeteria, was looking for a place to sit, and I saw a table with one open seat, and I knew a couple people there at the table, but not everyone. And so I sat down and, and said hello, and it turns out that I sat down right in the middle of a heated political discussion. Now, I wanted to steer clear of politics because I didn't know everyone at the table, and I don't remember exactly what the policy was that was being debated, but it was some sort of social welfare policy. And what I remember is this one guy who was really, really worked up, and he kept saying, the government has no business doing welfare. Welfare is not the problem of the government. The government exists to protect our national borders and to keep the nation safe and to keep the courts functioning, and I, I don't remember what else. 
But he kept going on and on about welfare. And finally, he said, nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the welfare is the business of the government. At, at this point, even though I didn't want to get involved in a political discussion, I felt I had to say something. You see, I grew up in the 1970s. I grew up with Schoolhouse Rock. And I grew up with the preamble to the Constitution being sung on Saturday mornings. And I won't sing it for you now, but I can recite without even thinking about it the preamble. We, the people of the United States of America, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and ensure the blessings of life and liberty for ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So, yes, it actually says that the purpose of the government is to, in part, provide for the general welfare of the population. My friend at the table forgot that part of the text. And I think we do the same thing when we skip over that prologue to the Ten Commandments. We go right into the terms of the contract and we forget the reason why there is a contract in the first place. And that is the covenant. And that's where we have to start with all of these explanations of the commandments. Right. And I really like your analogy of the Constitution, because in our current political climate, that is something that people are debating hotly. What is the Constitution? What does it include? Uh, so I really think that that's a, a great analogy there. We talked last week about how there are two different places primarily that we find the, the Ten Commandments. We find them both in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. We are going to be focusing on Deuteronomy's reading of the Ten Commandments because this is actually the less familiar setting. We sort of debated about whether we wanted to use the more familiar setting or the less familiar, but I think that sometimes listening to the less familiar scripture actually helps us shake out of our preconceived notions. Sidebar, in regards to hearing things through other people's lenses, it is phrases like that that are precisely why I preach from a manuscript every Sunday. <laughs> Amen. There's, there's a great debate between pastors about uh, whether or not to use an outline or a manuscript or go off the top of your head, and I would be a disaster if I went off the top of my head. You have no excuse for mixed metaphors if you're preaching from a manuscript. Our text this week is Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 11. I am reading from the English Standard Version. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. 
He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So instead of hearing, you shall have no other gods before me, at the very least, we should hear I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I think we need to keep both of those verses, verses 6 and 7, in our heads when we hear the first commandment. And normally I wouldn't spend time focusing on a preposition but the word before is really important. It doesn't just mean you can worship God and then go ahead and worship some other gods after you have worshiped the Lord, the God who brought you out of slavery in the house of Egypt. It means you have no other gods, period. You have no other gods in the presence or sight of the Lord. It means you don't have any image of God or anything that you can point to as a God. And I realize now I'm encroaching on the second commandment. But it means nothing else. And this is a world in which every pantheon, every region has a whole mess of gods. There's a storm god. There's a fertility goddess. There are all of these different cults. And the covenant says, I am your only god. You will have no other gods before me. Period. So no other gods in my sight is what God is saying. Correct. And you cannot in any way, shape, or form separate that from the second commandment against images. That's really important, and that's why you cannot separate the first commandment from the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. But let's pause, and let's hear that with, the, with verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is a really interesting passage because it has been used 
in all sorts of nefarious ways throughout the years. It has been used to deny the church of art. It's been used to argue that we shouldn't have any sort of pictures that are meant to depict God. We're not supposed to have artwork in church because that could be used as an idol. It's not just about a statue, right? Correct. And that's Super, super important, and there's a lot of nuance in there. In the ancient world, gods were attached to specific places, to specific shrines, and they were always represented as idols. They were always depicted in gold or silver or some sort of carved image. So as soon as you have something that is a representation of a god, you have something that can be worshipped. And by definition, that is something other than God. It's not just a, you won't do this, but it gets back to the initial self-revelation of God to Moses and to the people gathered at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, depending on whether you're reading this in Exodus or in Deuteronomy, God appears as a fire, as a disembodied voice. God has no shape or form. And that sounds strange to the people hearing it at the time, but what that means is you cannot then force God into any image. The image of God is intentionally vague. We can't claim that God is white because that would define the image of God too narrowly. We can't define God as specifically male or female because we are all created in God's image. And by leaving that vague, it does not make one experience of humanity normative over others. Yeah, and I think this is a great place to interject that when you hear us read the scriptures on this podcast, we will often change any male pronouns used for God to be neutral. Not We're not going to say they, but we're going to say God instead of him or God's instead of his Because it's really important to remember that God came to earth as Jesus, a man. When we refer to Jesus, we will say he. God, generally speaking, has no gender. All people, male or female, are created in God's image. So this relates to that in that when we depict God as some old white dude with long flowing robes and a big long white beard, we have automatically eliminated from God's image anyone who is female, anyone who is darker than white, even to a degree, younger people have been eliminated from that image as well. Besides that, George Burns didn't have a beard. (laughs) What are some of the things then, Alan, you would say are idolatrous in our current culture? Because we have to look at this through our current cultural lens in order to get any kind of meaningful use out of it. So I I think, I mean, this is really the reason that we are calling this podcast soft idolatry 
is I think that in our culture right now, we have we have so many idols out there that we don't realize that we have made idols. But not only does an idol call for you to worship it, it also calls for you to make sacrifices for it or in front of it. It calls for your attention and your loyalty. And I think a wonderful contemporary example of idolatry can be found in that creation known as the man cave. I would love to hear more about this. So it starts off with something that is neither good nor bad, just wanting a nice TV. Nothing wrong with having a TV. I think most of us have them. Many of us enjoy watching sports or movies, and we want to enhance the experience of that. So we buy a big TV, and then we buy a really great sound system. And then sometimes we end up designing a whole room around that TV. And that is the man cave. We don't just have a nice big TV. We have an incredible TV, so we've got to buy great recliners and couches to watch this TV. And we've got to then have a fully stocked bar in that room and maybe a refrigerator and a sink. And, you know, we have to have like the entire sports bar movie theater experience all packaged into one room, all for watching that TV. And when you start looking at the time and the effort and the money that goes into doing this, is it worship? I don't know, but I think you start entering into a gray area. I'm not going to say that it's always wrong or that everybody uh, needs to repent and sell their TV and recliner and sound system and all that. But I think that the way the practice feeds on itself, it starts venturing down that slippery slope into worship. I agree. There's a lot of stuff that it falls into that gray area where it's hard to determine whether it's worship or not. And the biggest thing we have to take into consideration is if it is edifying us, if it is self-care that is helping us then pour into God's kingdom more and more, or is it something that's distracting us from God's call on our life, from the things that God is asking us to do? Is it causing us to deny in other ways. So are we pouring into this man cave, if we're using that example, to the degree that it prevents us from giving to the church? So when the church is trying to come up with funding to start a new program or hire a worship leader or something like that, and they're asking for people to step forward financially, are we saying we can't afford it because we have $20,000 poured into this entertainment room in our house. I would add to that too, if it is something that leads to isolation, if it changes your patterns of relationships, if it facilitates you, if it facilitates your spending more time at home and away from other people, then again, you are going closer to that level of having an idol than if, say, you 
invest in the incredible sound system and couches and you invite a group from church over for movie night once a month. Totally, totally different experience and focus and use of resources. And this can extend this can extend to many different places in our lives. I was actually reflecting last night after we had had that conversation about the person that was upset with my sermon. The other day we talked about political ideology or, you know, nationalism, patriotism becoming idols in a way. So I did my intro to the Ten Commandments sermon this Sunday, mm-hmm. and somebody walked out. Did, That's did my get... first time ever that somebody got that sad or mad about my preaching. I was preaching from the Mark text, uh-huh. love, love God, love neighbor, mm-hmm. and how loving neighbor flows out of our love for God in response to God's love for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the most troubling love your neighbor situations for me right now is the crisis at the southern border. Mm. And I said, I know you don't all agree on this. You're not all going to agree with me. You're not all going to agree with each other. I said, one of the most troubling things for me, though, is that nobody has a good solution or at least not one that can be agreed upon and implemented, right? <laughs> um, I would probably go so far as to argue the scriptural solution is to not have a border, but that's yeah. <laughs> never going to be what's going to happen, right? I, I'm also a realist mm-hmm. uh, in addition to an optimist based in scripture. But there were some people that were upset about that. And we are actually, we're sending a team with Presbyterian Peacemaking on their travel study seminar to Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador Mm -hmm. to study the migrant trails and and talk with people who've been deported from the United States, talk to people who are trying to immigrate to the United States. What was interesting is that their displeasure with that was not because it, it wasn't a you know, filthy Mexicans, racist rant or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It was simply, we have suffering people here. My response to that was, you're right, but those things aren't mutually exclusive. They're both problems we should care about. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was thinking that is probably something both myself and the person I was interacting with did wrong is our rightness in that situation became an idol in that it was not bringing us together. It was dividing us and it wasn't helping either one of us deal with either of these terrible situations in our culture. Instead of me saying, okay, I hear you friend. And you're right. That is a big problem. What can we do to help solve it? Or instead of him stopping to listen to this other problem, we were both so invested in being right. I was defending my sermon. He was defending his stance on that issue. And our rightness actually became a form of idolatry. And we see that a lot today. We put our, our, our ideals and our beliefs and I'm not talking about Christian beliefs. We should not back down on those, but our our beliefs about the way that, that culture and society should work, we put those on a pedestal, and our rightness is the thing that's getting in the way of actually doing God's work. Yeah, it becomes idolatry of self, particularly when we dig in our heels and 
we cut ourselves off from loving neighbor because we are so focused on our own need to be right. One of the other places where we see this very often is in church, particularly as it comes to how we use our funds and how we maintain our buildings. I have preached before on the notion that sometimes we worship our buildings more than we worship God. I would venture to say that at least eight out of 10 preachers have preached on this at some point in their career. What about those other two? They either don't have buildings or they really love their buildings. I'm not sure. (laughs) I, I hate to say all preachers have preached this because that's all is a very powerful word. The, the, the question always is, when does a tool for worship slip into becoming an object of worship? And certainly in my situation, our congregation has a beautiful old building that required a lot of work a few years ago, and they took out a rather large mortgage. And when you add up the cost of the mortgage and the cost of all of our utilities and all of our other building-related expenses, it costs more than my salary and benefits and probably almost as much as all of the salaries that we pay to our other employees. So it really, I think, calls us out as well to, to say that we often run the risk of engaging in this behavior. We run the risk of breaking this commandment at our very core. I would take that a step further and extend that to liturgy as well. If you change one portion of the liturgy, especially in a mainline church, but this happens in less structured churches as well. I've, I've been there and seen it happen. If you change one routine part of a worship service, people get funny. They can lose their minds over that stuff. And it can be something as simple as renaming a piece of the service or adding a projector into the service along with the bulletin. It could be changing the font size in the bulletin for Pete's sake. But the liturgy can also become idolatrous. We're not worshiping God. It's not leading us to worship God, but rather we are seeing that as salvific almost in a way. Whereas if we change it, how do we worship Ooh, salvific. There's a good seminary word for you. That's my 10-gallon word for the day. The bottom line is we always need to focus on why it is important to follow these rules, why it is important to be faithful to these rules. And that's why we always have to go back to that prologue and that covenantal relationship. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in the house of Egypt. One of the things that we want to make sure you all take away each week from this podcast is not necessarily all of the biblical, historical, theological background. That is all to bring us to the why and the then what do we do with this why. Every why needs a what, or it's mm-hmm. just empty philosophy. There has to be some sort of, of 
action or life change or doing that comes from it. So each week we want to make sure you go out with a now what. This week, we encourage you to think about how often you are distracted from God's work. Think very carefully about each thing that you're doing. This can be anything from the job that you're doing as a career to the house that you're living in or the car that you're driving, the people that you are spending time with, the things that you are spending money on. Think about those things and how they are furthering the kingdom of God, how they are furthering your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Are they edifying those relationships or are they a distraction from them? So spend some time praying over this and reflecting on why you believe what you believe and then thinking about those things that keep you from moving into that space. And as a way of helping you move into that space, each week we're going to give you a prayer to be praying. So we'll encourage you in a practice this week. It is thinking purposefully about the way the things you're doing are edifying relationships with God and one another. We're also going to leave you with a prayer that you can be praying each day as you get ready for the day or perhaps as you wind down and reflect on the day. I really love this idea, Carissa, but this is a podcast. If we just tell them a prayer, how are they going to be able to do that? Are we expecting them to memorize what we say? Well, we will either tell them where to find this prayer and or put it in the show notes. Oh, that's a great idea. That encourages our listeners to go to the website and find other resources. That website is www.softidolatry.com. You will find links to subscribing to this podcast on various different servers. You will find show notes. You will find blog posts from Alan and I. We are hoping to get up some bios of ourselves soon on that website so you can find out a little bit more about us. And we'll add links to our church websites as well. If you are in the area where one of us live, you can join us for worship. That sounds wonderful. So what is the prayer that we are leaving our audience with this week? Our prayer this week is Psalm 40. We are going to read the English Standard Version, and we're going to read this in a relatively traditional liturgical style, where one of us is going to read a verse, the other will respond with the next verse. So, Alan, why don't you start off with verse 1 of Psalm 40 as we pray together. I waited patiently for the Lord. The Lord inclined to me and heard my cry. God drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. God put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord their trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. So that's it for this week's episode on the First and Second Commandments. We thank you for listening to Soft Idolatry this week. And before you go, let me say a word of grace to lead you into the rest of your week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another episode, friends. If you'd like to send us some questions or comments, you can email us. Our email is info at softidolatry.com. And you can always check out our website at softidolatry.com. I'm looking forward to taking God's name in vain because I want to say a few times. I think for that one, I'll I'll make the public admission that I swear like a sailor. Apropos of nothing. True that. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. You let me do all that. You could have just clicked the button. Levi just handed me a note that says, I want to say hi to the podcast people, please. <laughs> Duly noted. Levi, if I if I let you say hi to the podcast, will you buzz off? All right, say hi to the podcast. You shouldn't negotiate, hi. Carissa. Hi, Levi.